We are back in our sermon series, The Red Letters of John. We're looking specifically at what Jesus, as it's recorded in John, what Jesus taught, what he thought, what he uh, did, especially the way of Christ is what we're focusing on. And as we follow that way, which is not my way, as we follow that way, the way of Christ, we actually discover our true selves is what happens, who we really are. So we're in John 7, verses 1 through 9, and the text is in the liturgy there. Uh, this is the message as well. John 7, 1 through 9. Please uh, read along as I read. Later, Jesus was going about his business in Galilee. He didn't want to travel in Judea because the Jews were looking for a chance to kill him. It was near the time of tabernacles, a feast observed annually by the Jews. His brothers said, why don't you leave here and go up to the feast so your disciples can get a good look at the works you do? No one who intends to be publicly known does everything behind the scenes. If you're serious about what you're doing, come out in the open and show the world. His brothers were pushing him. Now, these are his biological brothers. were pushing him like this because they didn't believe in him either. Jesus came back at them. Don't pressure me. This isn't my time. It's your time. It's always your time. You have nothing to lose. The world has nothing against you, but it's up in arms against me. It's against me because I expose the evil behind its pretensions. You go ahead. Go up to the feast. Don't wait for me. I'm not ready. It's not the right time for me. He said this and stayed on in Galilee. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Christ, I pray that now no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here even, we may have been forced to come today. We may not know ourselves. Maybe we chose to come and we don't know why. I pray no no matter what the motivation is for us being here, I pray that we would meet with you, especially so that we might experience new life, healing, actual change and transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to focus on this verse in particular that says toward the end, this will be what's in red. Uh, It says, the world has nothing against you, but it's up in arms against me, Jesus says. It's against me because I expose the evil behind its pretensions. Now, what, what do you think of when, when you hear the word evil? Or, or the world, that's mentioned here in sort of a negative context, negative way. Well, this is according to the Bible, and as we see Jesus' life, we see it may not be what you think it is. Because here he's applying it to religious people. Do you see that? If you know the life of Christ at all, you know that they were his enemies. Not people that hang out in places like this. Not people that are incarcerated. Not people that are on the streets. Not people that um, are sick and tired and weary. Definitely not people who have understood. They're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. If that's you, this is your king. So... We need to kind of recalibrate, I think, what we think about when we think of these terms, evil, the world. 
Here's my simple two-word definition. It means this, my way. That's evil. I'm not evil. But if I live according to my ego, which is about self-interest only, it wants to exclude everybody else, that is evil. And you know who some of the most evil people, quote, in quotes, in the world are. They are religious people, and they are using religion, guess what, for their own self-interest. This is what Jesus is standing against. People use religion all the time, not to know actually the, the God that, that is, that really is, but they use religion for their own ego. And as Richard War says, and I totally agree, this has been my experience. I see it in my own heart, actually. Religion can create the best of people and the worst of people. And by worst, he and I mean worst. <laughs> the, wick, the most wicked evil that the world has ever seen has, I believe, come through the hands of religious people. But it's not just religious people. You see, that... We all have an ego. It, it transcends whether you're religious or irreligious. That is what evil is. It's self-interest only. Living according to my, my self-interest to the exclusion of others. That's it. Here are Jesus' brothers. Did, did you know that Jesus' own family, Jesus' Jesus's own siblings didn't believe he was the Messiah? Not until the resurrection, at least. And then... Brothers like James and Jude write books in the New Testament and became leaders in the early church. But here, they, this was their brother. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, like, this isn't weird to me at all. They, Jesus was very ordinary to them, right, as any sibling would be. Uh, so, like, I don't cast aspersions at them at all. I, I, I'm sure I would not believe Jesus was God if he were my brother, you know. This is where we find them at this scene uh, now, they were very religious, no doubt about that. Very religious people. Uh, they're, they're, what they're doing, and this is subtle, and I'll try to kind of tease this out, but they're, they're, what they're doing is they are, op- as any, uh, any person who's got the ego behind the will, whether they're religious or irreligious, they are organizing their lives, as it turns out, independently of the God that really is. This is what our first parents, so to speak, did in the garden. The first sin, that's exactly what it is. They, they wanted to be God apart from God. <laughs> and uh, they wanted to be like God apart from God. And, of course, the tragedy is they already were, right? They already were. That, that's what it means to be human, actually, is to be made in the image of God. And as you've heard me say, using an illustration from James Finley, it, it would be like your reflection in the mirror deciding, you know what, I no longer need you. <laughs> I'm going to go live my own life, my way. Your, your reflection in the mirror, right? that's absurd. You can't leave your source of being. And so Christ comes to restore the image of God in humanity. That is what we just celebrated at Christmas. It's, it's restored. You can realize who you really are again, but not independently of God, whether you're religious or irreligious. If you're after, as some say, 
your own self-salvation project, to prove to the world that you're right and you're righteous, well, you are living in a way that is worldly. That's what it means to be worldly. Those are the deeds of the flesh, and that's what it means to be evil, to live in an evil way. And so we have, it hits really close to home with Jesus. His own brothers are organizing their religious life independently of the God that is hidden in plain sight right in front of them. Their brother. Okay, that's true for all of us, I'm afraid. This is the newsflash. God is actually in the ordinary, primarily, not the extraordinary. God could be hidden in plain sight right in front of you. you just never seen him. So the question is, how will we see this God? And here's the answer. This is my main teaching today. You will see God through the lens of surrender and service. That is how you will notice God, the God that really is. You will see God through the lens of surrender. That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, surrender your ego through surrender and service. It's activated. The way to see God, God himself is activated through our serving one another. So that's the main teaching. It's actually the bookends of the 12 steps. Step number one, admitting your powerlessness, surrender. Step 12 is all about now experiencing God in your daily life. Here's how, by serving other people. If service feels like a burden to you, your ego is still fully operative is what that means. It means you're using that for self-interest is what it likely means. Now, we we need boundaries. We are just, yes, flesh. We're just humans. We can't do everything. We're not God. We do come from God, though. And so if we're going to experience the God that is, it will be by surrendering our ego and serving others. And and I I promise you, if you're doing that um, on the regular, you will not feel burdened by by doing that. You just won't. And that's actually a litmus test for whether or not your ego is fully operative. If you get burned out by serving other people who are different from you, who, yes, can be difficult like you... (laughs) If that burns you out quickly, if that's your primary experience with serving others, it means, I'm just telling you, it means your ego is still fully operative and and you're not transformed yet. You're not actually seeing the God that is. And so that's that's where we surrender. That's where we change. Um, We need to change. So, Just one heading today, true surrender, true surrender will take you to the narrow gate of service. True surrender will, by nature, take you to the narrow gate of service. What's the narrow gate? Well, um, Jesus talks about this. Another teaching of Jesus is in Matthew 7. He, He talks about the wide gate versus the narrow gate. And what I'm saying is to see God, you have to go through the narrow gate of service. That's what it is. To see God, therefore, again, we must change. But not, I'm not talking, not necessarily our behavior. It's much bigger than that. 
we need to change how we think and approach life. We need to change how we see. And I'm telling you, that will change what you see. This is the kind of change that we need. Not, don't think behavior so much in a list of, th- of do's and don'ts. We're, we're off course. What needs to change is, if we're thinking that way, what needs to change is, is inside us, internally. That's what needs to change. We need to change how we see, and that will change what we see. So, how do we do that? Well, again, it begins by admitting our powerlessness. I can't do it. That, the ego will feel bruised at first when you admit it'll feel like you're a loser or something. But right after that, when, oh man, the greatest freedom comes rushing in. Oh, that feels so good actually to admit that I'm not right. I might be wrong about this. I might be wrong about a lot. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, this is when God now, um, what was that old country song? Jesus get behind the wheels. <laughs> That's what comes to mind. Was I Carrie Underwood? I don't know. I don't even like country music. But that's Jesus, take the will. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There's, there's your cheese for the day. That's how, that's what happens when you surrender. Is Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you want to save your life, you have to actually lose it. You have to die. Like what he means is the false self. It's tied to ego. That needs to die so that your true self that Christ reveals can now come to the fore. It happens through surrender. (laughs) My name's Chad. I'm an addict. I'm addicted to my ego, my way of doing things, my defenses. (sighs) Oh, you're you're still here, right? You're not going to run like I thought you would? Well, now we're, now we're talking about church, what church is supposed to be. Right at that point, it's when someone else goes, hey, me too, <laughs> right? And, and it's when all of a sudden it becomes normal for people who come up here to speak, as y'all do, very vulnerably about their struggles. This is the practice of the church. This is how the kingdom is manifested in the world. It is through vulnerability. Not just up front, but actually through um, and with the people closest to you, too. That's even harder sometimes. This is the surrender that I'm talking about. When you do that, it will lead you to this narrow gate. It will, that Jesus is talking about. Wide gate versus narrow gate. The wide gate, well, that's the gate that most of the world, you know, this is, the, this is what it means to be worldly. It's the wide road or wide, that goes through the wide gate of self-interest only. This is like the mantra of our country, right? rugged individualism. It's all about the false self. It's all about ego. And so, yeah, lots of people are on that road, including Jesus' brothers here. And he says, the world hates me because I'm standing up against that. And they hate me even more because I'm doing so vulnerably. Because I'm going to come in on a donkey, not a white horse with a suit of armor and a sword. But I'm going to come in on a donkey as a pacifist and go all the way to the cross and let you kill me. The world doesn't like that. It hates that. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And so it's not, it's not his time yet, though, to, to display the glory of God 
to the world, which he means his crucifixion. It's not time yet. He needs more eyes on him to do that. And other things need to happen. And so he tells his brothers, you go, because you're walking the wide road through the wide gate. It's, it's a lazy Sunday drive for you. Go for it. The narrow gate is very different. He says in verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 7, for the gate that is narrow and the for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. By hard he again he means like we it I, at least in my experience, it, it has never gotten less humiliating when my ego feels the, the, like the bruise, right? That, that critique or, you know, that what, rejection, whatever it may be, it hurts every single time. The hard way the, through the narrow go, gate is just sitting in that and not trying to escape it, thinking that some mirage is going to save you. No, it's actually looking at that, that hard thing sitting there, looking at your shadow in particular, the things that you're trying to hide from the world when they get exposed. It just simply means, uh, yeah, it's true. My name's Chad and I did that, right? And so that's, but fewer people, people are going to go through that gate. But, it, but once you do, like I said, immediately freedom comes, and, and you will, this is what's crazy, is like you, you will experience something that is so great, you will want to give it away. This is what true love is, actually. If you, if it's what we're all after, and, and you know this. If you've fallen in love, you receive it, it happens, and then you can't help but like just give it away. You want everyone to experience it. You even get to the point where like, you, you sort of want your enemies to experience it, right? This, this is the change. It's just bigger than like just behavioral management or change. It happens, has to happen inside. And so that's the narrow gate that Jesus is talking about. And then the, the preceding verse, and I think, we, I think we, um, we take the golden rule, what's called the golden rule, which is the preceding verse, and we separate it from the narrow gate and wide gate language. You, you, we don't need to do that. It, it's meant to go together. But the preceding verse before this talk of the narrow and wide gate is verse 12, where Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Law and the prophets means the Bible. That was the Old Testament. That was shorthand for the Old Testament. So, so do you know what it means to be a biblical Christian? And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really have anything to do with your view of creation or sexuality or whether or not CRT should be taught in schools. This is what it means to be a biblical Christian. It means, well, thinking of others as better than you as worthy of more significance, importance than you. It, it means the goal, that's, that's Paul in the Philippians, or Jesus' language right here. It, this is what it means to be a biblical Christian. Whatever you wish that, that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the Bible. <laughs> it, like, it couldn't be clearer, but, but man, it sure seems like a lot of folks are confused on that, aren't they? Um, okay. Step 12 of AA is all about this. It's all about service. And as, 
as those in the program say, service is what keeps you sober. Again, step 12 says this, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Again, the addiction that we all, the disease of addiction that we all have is, is underneath all the other addictions is this addiction to ego, my way or the highway, right? Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? That, that, that is our addiction. And here's the thing about sin. That's, that is the disease called sin. It is self-punishing. Like it, it, it punish, like to live that way is, it will punish you inherently. This is how sin works in our lives. It makes us the opposite of being people filled with love, faith, hope, and love, or the fruit of the Spirit. In um, this book that, that Trina and Molly and another guy are reading called Breathing Underwater, and I'm encouraging others to read that too. It, uh, and, and if you're not a fan of Richard War, this might not be the church for you. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, you're welcome to be here, but you're going to hear a lot about because that is my main teacher today, along with Brian's on. And um, so, apologies, but here comes some Richard Rohr. Um, he's the author of the book. So it's a beautiful book. And um, he says this at chapter 12, which is about step 12 of AA. He says, we do not truly comprehend any spiritual thing until, until we ourselves give it away. Have you, have you found that to be true, that you don't really ex- comprehend anything spiritual <laughs> until you give it away, until you serve others? And then all of a sudden, I mean, you hear people talk about this, they go to the prison. Um, we meet with God in this palpable way every Sunday there, and I think it's happening here too. It's catching up, I think, at, at the House of Mercy service. But you, you're, that's happening because this is true. You, you, by giving it away, it's a mutual benefit to all then. But ego has to be in the back seat or you will never experience it. You have to surrender first. So you may have heard me say that House of Mercy's discipleship program, here it is. Ready? Two words, serving others. Like beginning with the people right here. You, you don't have to go to the prison or to 12 baskets. How about right here? Like, beginning begin to um, love these neighbors as you love yourself but here's the thing you got to be here I mean there's no neighbor to love at least as it relates to these people unless you're with them but that's that is our discipleship program from kindergarten on up now if you're a pre-k we just are trying to keep you alive you know Um, that's our program Uh, but if kindergarten and up that's it it's all the same we're going to take you by the hand and show you how to serve other people because that is what will disciple you. And I, I, I prefer the language of spiritual formation as opposed to discipleship program, but that's it. It's because this is true. You experience God through the lens of surrender and service. What else is the church for <laughs> except to experience God? That's why I hope you're here. As it turns out, this is the great physician who will heal you. You want to experience his God. You need healing. Do, you, do we know we need healing even? In, in uh, Breathing Underwater, again, chapter 12, um, 
Richard Rohr confesses that after over 50 years of ministry, one of his major failures was that he didn't ask more of people from the very beginning. So this is, this is a fresh time. We've been actually in existence for just over three years. Um, some of y'all are here for the first time, maybe. Uh, so it's a fresh time to say, um, hey, let's get to work. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I get what Richard Rohr, what Father Rohr is saying, it, but, but this is why he's saying it. He's saying, as it turns out, that's a litmus, litmus test to see who is going to actually be outward facing toward others and who probably never will. This is, this is what he says. If they didn't turn outward early, they tended never to turn outward, and their dominant concern became personal self-development, think personal piety or holiness, spiritual consumerism, or, to use a common phrase among Christians, deepening my relationship with Jesus, most of which demands little accountability for what we say that relationship is. You know, but that's the trump card. I'm working on my walk with Jesus, um, you know, as someone's asking for food <laughs> um, or as someone here is in need, right? Um, you, your quiet time is that for the day. If you really want to experience God, it's give, help that person out because that's where God is. I, I get that. So, like, he's saying it's sort of a litmus test. He, he, he would have known, you know, frankly, the sheep from the goats from the very beginning if he had done this more and, and asked more of people from, from the beginning. I mean, what is the, the point of church? And, and you're hearing me say this probably more and more. I, th- I think I'm finally settled with an answer to that. Um, and it's this. It's about healing and transformation of the individual and society. That is what church is for, healing and transformation of the individual and society. And now this is where you need other people. You, you, if you want a greater impact on society, well, there's strength in numbers. To come to church is an act of protest, actually, standing up against the evil of religion that is in religion and the world. And we stand up together it's just a lot more effective and if you actually want to help your community than standing alone. And so this is the point of church. And here's the truth about you and about others. Here's the truth. You are like God. You are made in the image of God. And so there is our reference point at House of Mercy. That's where we begin. Human being. That's your primary identity. What does that mean? Made in the image of God, divine DNA. So, so here's, here's a good time to actually uh, explain our mantra, and I'm almost done. Our mantra, every Sunday you heard Kim say it, House of Mercy is not a building or a place, but a people, and you belong. When we say that, this is what is actually meant. We're not first and foremost saying you belong to House of Mercy. It is an announcement by God that you belong everywhere. Because you are made in the image of God. So, yeah, that means here. (laughs) To cultivate that as a lived, embodied experience, well, that requires you. That is up to you. This is the announcement. We live under it. Whether or not we actually 
make that a lived reality is, is always a two-way street. It is up to us to do that. And it comes through surrender and service to one another, uh, which will require us to move to not to no longer use church for me and my ego. <laughs> you see? Now, um, back to the passage. Jesus' siblings here are actually tempting Jesus, as it turns out, the same way that the accuser or the, just the devil just means, the devil and the Satan are words that just mean accuser. It's the same thing going on that the accuser was doing with Jesus in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles is the feast that commemorates the wilderness journey, actually, of the Israelites. And so there, it's a, there's this, the, the, the Feast of Booths is what it's called. And so they lived in tents out in the wilderness. And so the Feast of Tabernacles, and particularly in the epicenter of the re- Jewish religious world, Jerusalem, you would see lots of these tents, these booths. And they're asking, they're actually compelling Jesus to go make a name for himself. You do extraordinary things, Jesus. We don't believe you're the son of God, but you do do cool stuff. If you want to make a name for yourself, Jesus, you, and for our family, right, go, go to the epicenter of the religious world and do it. Very same thing that the devil did in the wilderness with the last, the third temptation. He took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said, fling yourself off and, and the Father will, will save you. And that, I mean, who's not going to bow down to you then, right? Jesus declined both temptations from the devil and his siblings and said, I, I'm, I live another way. <laughs> true power, actually, in true life is another way. And this is not my time to display that other way for the whole world to see. What time is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a time that would quickly come, his own death. And so here's the gospel. This is, this is the gospel coming in. This is what Jesus was after, was showing the world that God is actually hid in plain sight. Not in the extraordinary, but in the ordinary This is the gospel. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He's revealing to the world that the solidarity of God with us in our suffering, even in our sin. It's the cross is about solidarity. And then Easter is about the resurrection is is the victory. This has happened. (laughs) It has come. The salvation has come. As Brian Zahn says, salvation is not a plan, but a person. That person has come. We now live from salvation, not for it in that sense. Salvation has come. We live from that salvation, not for it. Surrender and service is the only way we'll see it. It's the only way we'll experience it. So, Let's do that. Let's pray. Jesus, give us the power, I pray, Holy Spirit, to do what, what I confess is impossible. I, I, just, I will never surrender my ego. And that's, this is the point of suffering. It, it, in my life, it has to be taken from me. And um, even on the other side of that, I'm thankful. It helps me see a suffering God. It helps me know that 
that our sufferings in this life are actually part of the suffering of God. And you will save the whole world through that surrender and that suffering. Praise be to God. Amen.